Zara, I am so excited to talk about today's sponsor. It's the new film, Challenges. It's from the director of Call Me By Your Name, Luca Guadagnino, and stars and is produced by none other than our girl Zendaya. Yeah, you know I love her. You love her too. I love her so much. Zendaya plays Tashi Duncan, a former tennis prodigy turned coach who is married to a Grand Slam champion, currently on a losing streak. And if that's not bad enough, Tashi's strategy to help her husband break his curse sort of takes a surprising and awkward turn. Hmm, awkward indeed. Because now he must face off against his former best friend and Tashi's ex-boyfriend, Patrick. Zara, the tensions are running high. I know. Tashi's someone who makes no apologies for her game on and off the court. It's her game, her rules, but with her past and present colliding, Tashi must face reality and ask herself, what will it cost to win? Challenges is the sexy drama that everyone's talking about and it's definitely not one you want to miss. It's about passion, friendship and what happens when your past comes back to challenge you. You can grab a ticket from Tuesday the 26th. So grab your friends and get excited. I will be grabbing you and we are definitely going to be going to watch it. Oh, please. Thank you so much to Challenges for making this episode of Shameless Possible. Home. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart women who love dumb stuff. You're joined, as always, by Melbourne journalists Michelle Andrews and Zara McDonald. Hello and also um, happy one year. Did you know that it was our anniversary? I cannot believe. I think vamp now is the ultimate reminder. I also loved that I used the word anniversary when I (laughs) I actually using the word anniversary a couple of months ago. This is our one year. That's a huge deal. Happy birthday. Happy birthday to you too. And happy birthday to all the listeners. No, if you've been with us since episode one, I'm very impressed. It wasn't pretty at the beginning, but look where we are now. (laughs) Don't encourage them to go back. (laughs) Coming up on today's show, Ashley Vines has landed herself in another scandal and are we really betting on weight loss now? Plus the horrifying Michael Jackson documentary that everyone's talking about. And finally, has political correctness ruined comedy? But first, Zara, how was your week? Good. Do we think this question is a little redundant now that we work together full time? Maybe. Um, The week was good, busy, Mm. relatively stressful on a scale of stress, Mm. would we say? Yeah, well... Your jaw didn't dislocate, so your so, week was fine. Yeah, you're right, because those are the only <laughs> things that can go wrong in a week, a dislocated <laughs> jaw. Um, otherwise, on, to be honest, there's not that much to report. I have to say, though, we did announce Mechaland, that we are hosting Mechaland, which is great, yes. on Tuesday, which is very exciting, coming up in May. If anyone is going to be in Sydney, 17th, 18th, the 19th of May, come down to Mechaland. I think tickets are on sale as of March 20, so mm-hmm. there's that. Um, and as for the best thing I consumed this week, because I'm going to bring this little tidbit back, I think we just let it go sometimes. I recommended an episode in our newsletter of The Daily, which I absolutely bet you haven't listened to yet. I don't listen to the. I try to listen to The Daily okay. and then other podcasts come up that are just more sugary and fun. This is a really important listen. So this is... Uh, called What Hollywood Gets Wrong About Race, and it delves into why Green Book's win at the Academy Awards was so contentious. So it goes into Hollywood's history of sort of celebrating that white saviour narrative, that kind of thing that has been going on for years and years and years and years, and the opportunity that the Academy had this year to champion so many other people of colour or so many other films that were 
spearheaded by people of color and they kind of went for the one that we've always had trouble with. So if that story has gone over your head or if you want to learn more about that, because I think it is the most helpful thing to hear about and understand in the context of Hollywood, please go and listen to that. Will you go and listen to it now? I actually will. I think that story went over my head. Yeah. So I need someone to backtrack and walk me through it. They do. And they go right back to the start when Driving Miss Daisy won the Academy Award and, and kind of went through why people are upset now after okay. all of these years. Okay. That's a good Tell one. me about your week, dislocated jaw and all. I am anxious even talking at the moment that my jaw is going to pop out at any second. This was the funniest. <laughs> Sorry, it's not funny. No, this is the thing. Mm. Dislocating my jaw was the funniest and most traumatic thing to ever happen to me in my entire life. Like I, for anyone who no missed drama, it. No drama, I roll. Have you dislocated your jaw? No, no, I'm kidding. For two hours? No, no. Okay. So I was sitting at home watching the Michael Jackson documentary. This is the type of sacrifice I make for you guys. I just left your house as well, which I was, I don't know if it was good or bad, probably a good thing that I got out of there. Oh, so I was watching this documentary in preparation for the podcast. I yawned because it was just lagging a bit in one of the earlier scenes and I yawned and at the very peak of my mouth being opened, my jaw popped out. I'm so queasy. So this stuff I really struggle with. Yeah, it popped out and it would not go back in. So at first, this has happened to me before. It's a bit clicky. It's a little bit weird. It's happened to you before when I've been around and you just sort of like whack it back in and we go on our way. It's the type of thing where normally it's only three or so seconds and I can get it back in. This was not that time. I was home alone. My my mouth was like the lady at Luna Park. Like, you know, that big yeah. Luna Park mouth that you walk into? That was my mouth. <laughs> You're cringing right now. You're not enjoying not this cringing. at all. I cannot handle these stories. It's a fatal flaw, but my queasy mm-hmm. factor is higher than anybody else's, I think. Mm-hmm. I think the listeners will enjoy this though. So I was really panicked, like running around my apartment, looking in the mirror, trying to put it back in. It wouldn't go in. I tried to call my sister because I hadn't said anything because I was alone at this point. Upon calling my sister, I realized I could not speak. I could make like, ah, noises. Are you taking questions at this time? Yeah, go for it. Uh, At no point when you did it, did you not say like, oh, and realize it came out weird? So you hadn't sort of exerted any noise? No, I'm not really the kind of person that talks to myself when I'm alone. So I called Claire, who's a nurse, and she was distressed because I was hysterically Mm. crying on the phone and they had to call an ambulance for me, my sister and my dad. And then my boyfriend had to leave work and come home. And the entire time, my mouth is just agape. <laughs> and it was very, very painful. The paramedics had to come. I had to go to hospital. They tried to put it back in manually. They couldn't. I had to be knocked out and they had to put it in while I was under. I was at hospital for a very long time, but they put married at first sight on, which made it slightly better. And I might need to get surgery now. Or Botox in the chin. Yeah, I know. Oh, the but- doctor was like, you might have to get Botox. I'm like, oh fine (laughs) do not joke about this the amount of segments we've done on Botox and plastic surgery um what I was gonna say though is I was disappointed in you hospital clickbaiting because you bag anyone that hospital clickbaits Mm. and when I say hospital clickbait it's a classic case of uploading a photo of yourself either with the hospital wristband or in a hospital gown saying oh hectic night but I'm fine (laughs) mine was funny though like I still agree that you still hospital clickbait yeah but I think if you yawn and end up in hospital you get a free pass to clickbait as much as you want you cannot bag anyone for doing that from here no I do have a recommendation though oh please get ambulance cover 
I oh, think it's so important. Good one. Who knows? You might yawn tomorrow and end up needing an ambulance to the nearby hospital. So please get ambulance cover. It's super cheap for the year. If you don't have it, it's thousands of dollars that you'll be out of pocket. So get ambulance cover That's if you don't already. Very earnest recommendation, but I'm all about it. Also not sponsored by Ambulance Victoria. <laughs> we should say, as by the by. Um, let's actually get into the show before Michelle actually does pop her jaw out. So if this podcast just becomes me talking at myself, we all know why. The world is trying to make me shut up. I, and I wonder why. Last week a throat infection, this week a popped out jaw. Anyway, continue. We are talking about diet bet and ashy binds. We are, because you were the one that sort of got me across this story. Yeah, well, I follow everyone on social media. Fitnessy stuff. Yeah, I'm very into fitness influencers. I don't know why. I just follow them out of curiosity. They're very unusual specimens to me. And Ashy Bynes decided that for March, she was going to launch a program or a competition, really, in collaboration with DietBet, which is a company that puts dollars on your weight loss. So you can join a group or join a game with a friend. So Zara and I, you, we could get in a game together. Mm-hmm. And the idea would be that within a month, we have to lose as much weight as possible. We can each put, say, $500 towards it. And whoever wins the mo- most weight after that month would take the $1,000 home. So Ashley decided to do this as kind of like a post New Year's resolution, get back on track thing to her followers. What is surprising to me is that any big major established brand would not have question marks in their brain about something called diet bet. Yeah. So the tagline she used was bet to shred. The idea was that if you bet on yourself, it would be extra motivation. So she wanted her tribe to lose 4% of their body weight. In four weeks. In four weeks. That seems like a lot. There's a couple of interesting things here. I mean, this is completely multi-layered. But what I find interesting is the idea that body fat is first and foremost the thing that they're measuring. I mean, I know this is not by any means the only issue, but it's that idea that you can only be fit and healthy if you're actually dropping body fat or a body fat percentage, which is kind of bizarre to me because health is... Health is not this game you can just win money on or bet money on because I think it then even when we're talking about um, body fat percentage, it still reinforces this idea that thin equals healthy, like less body fat equals healthy. Yeah, well, it's a total deviation away from what health influencers in 2019 try to push. I think a lot of health influencers now wrap their program in terms like healthy living and wellness and Ashy Bynes deviated from that. She was the antithesis to that in saying, oh, put a dollar sign on your weight loss. And I think it's such an archaic and backwards message to say, if you weigh less, you are suddenly healthier when we know that's not the case. Well, it is interesting. And you are right in that everybody is trying to rebrand or move away from the fact that health is weight loss and no fitness program wants to be associated with a fitness program that fixates on weight loss. For example, Kayla Ritzinas has said in an interview before that she has very deliberately rebranded her bikini body guide to the sweat app for a very particular reason. I, I am, like I said, just very surprised that they went ahead with this and, and couldn't foresee the backlash. I think it is symptomatic of maybe a culture where gambling, particularly in Australia, isn't taken very seriously. That maybe Ashy Bynes and the people who work for Ashy Bynes don't consider gambling as a health concern. But was gambling, I mean, this is a legitimate and genuine question, was gambling the biggest issue that you had? Like the gambling element to this, the biggest issue you had with the program? I think so, because I don't think we talk enough about gambling and how insidious gambling culture is in Australia. So I do think this stat is really important. We have the highest rates of gambling in the entire world. Australia is number one 
of gamblers. And it's thought up to 160,000 Australians are battling a serious gambling addiction right now. Three to 4% of Australians are at significant risk of developing a gambling addiction. I think to turn to young men and women and say, oh, this is something you should be gambling on and putting your money towards even the language of you win money smash your goals and Mm. you win money we shouldn't be talking about gambling in terms of winning like you gamble and you almost always lose everything is geared towards you losing money and giving that money to major betting corporations to frame it as you win no the odds are against you we shouldn't even be using winning as a I mean, we can use winning as, as long as we're using it in the context of how often you're losing. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah, that is the opposite. I See, it's funny. Gambling clearly was a concern for me in this. But my, my first and foremost concern was about the idea that weight loss is a game and that you're pitting people against each other. And it's sort of this smug, if I'm skinnier than you, I'm better than you because I just beat you. Like that was my first and foremost concern or that's sort of what riled me up the wrong way. I have to say though, so Ashley Bynes decided to do this, got waves of what she called feedback, I'm going to say backlash, and filmed a video on Snapchat and said that they were going to pull the program, cut ties with Dietbet. Clearly they were getting quite a, a nice little check from Dietbet through this partnership that they weren't going to take anymore and they were going to refund anyone that decided to actually be a part of the program. I think honestly credit where credit is due. I think that we should be more encouraging or more accepting of people that do want to change their minds, that do want to fuck up. I think if we are still angry after somebody admits they were wrong and have changed their mind, then nobody's ever going to change their mind and everybody's always going to be stubborn when they fuck up. I get it. But how many mistakes can someone make until we turn around and say, you're being really irresponsible? At what point are you going to think about your actions before you act? I don't think we're under any danger of not calling Ashley Bynes irresponsible. No, I know. Ashley Bynes cops a lot of flack and she... Every single thing she does, rightly so, I should say, is under a complete and utter microscope. I just think in this kind of case, we should always recognize that if someone changing their mind and pulling something is a good thing and we should be encouraging of that so that more people feel like they can change their mind and are still not going to be crucified for it. Yeah, that's fair enough. I am really happy that she pulled this quite soon after she announced it. We should say also that she's certainly not the only one that's ever done this. There are some pretty high-profile international fitness influencers who have partnered with DietBet and, we should say, also make a cut from this kind of program. So it's the kind of thing that probably will rear its head again Mm. and something that we should definitely keep an eye on. Absolutely. Thank you, next bitch. And now it is time for the quick and dirty. As always, we will bring you five stories from the rough and tumble. Why are you laughing already at the stories in the list? Because apparently I'm hosting this week's quick and dirty, but you decided four of the stories now that I'm looking at I them. I feel like this is the only <laughs> fair way to do this. Let me go back to what I was saying, which was we're bringing you five <laughs> stories from what you might have missed from the news cycle. Michelle, take it away. Oh, let me tell you all of my fantastic stories number one everyone is already thirsty for this year's bachelor that's from 10 daily good choice zara i would have put this in as well great actually i want to tell you i want you to tell me that if you would have actually agreed with these stories yes so let's talk about matt slash steven <laughs> <laughs> so that's a little joke at i think it was woman's day or it was or maybe new was weekly new, new what's new weekly is it is new weekly not a title new idea but that new is idea. very kind of bougie of you to pretend you don't know the tabloids <laughs> names <laughs> So snobby. Yeah. So one of the tabloids made a mistake. They leaked this Bachelor news. They announced The Bachelor the day before Channel 10 came out. Classic. They said his name was Stephen and that he's a doctor. Not exactly the truth. His name is, what is it, Matt? His name is Matt and he's doing a PhD in astrophysics or something. Yeah, he's an astrophysicist. Mm. He's very hot. Someone was clearly trolling 
one of the tabloids in, in calling him Stephen. And I'm all about it. Like if they're going to leak it, at least they got one fact wrong. And with a name like Stephen, it's pretty amazing. Oh, he does look like a Stephen. I've got to say, when I found out his name was Matthew, I was like, really though? I'm kind of about, I think everybody is quite, I think everybody is celebrating this Bachelor because there seems to be like a stroke of dork there. And that's what's mm. been missing from the franchise in such a long time. Like I feel like Tim Robard's hot, charming, but like kind of stroke of dork there. I mean, he's on Neighbours now. I think to go on reality TV, you do have to be a bit of a dork. Really? Yeah, a little bit. To to go and be The Bachelor, you've got to have that. I oh, know, actually we had Richie awkward. Strawn and yeah. I was not. A, see, this is the thing. I want a stroke of dork, but I don't want full dork, which is why I was – very in support of Tim Robards and not so much in support of Richie. You were very in support of Matt. Well, you were in the back of an Uber when we found out and you were just scrolling through his images going, all right. Okay, so full disclosure, (laughs) these were the pap photos that were taken while he was on a date. Then Channel 10 released their official Bachelor portrait and I sort of cooled a bit. The official portraits never look good. The pap photos looked amazing. He's gonna. He's very cute. I'm very, very happy they've gone back to their roots and picked a guy that none of us know. Because the honey badger fucked it up for all of us. So. And yeah, they've clearly gone for the antithesis of the honey badger. The other interesting thing is this was making international news on Twitter. Like I was saying, I was seeing US Bachelor commentators talking about how lucky we were to have a hot astrophysicist as our bachelor. I'm so excited. Mitch should be very concerned because this is my type of guy. <laughs> yeah, but you're not on the show. <laughs> Would they ever let remote? either of us, like two podcast hosts of a pop culture podcast, I'd love to be the mole on there. I would love it, but I don't think we'd ever be allowed. (laughs) My second story, 30 things I learned before turning 30. That's from Elle magazine. Good choice, Zara. I would have put this in as well. Would you like to explain? So this was a piece from Taylor Swift. Uh, I think she must be about to drop an album. Like there's so much going on at the moment with Swift. With Swift, (laughs) with Taylor. I don't know, maybe just I should use her full name, with Taylor Swift. And she wrote a kind of blog post, a listicle on 30 Mm. things she's learned before 30. I have to say I'm never a fan of these stories. I just find them so juvenile. But this was surprisingly insightful. Yeah, well, it wasn't the first time we've seen this exact format. We've seen other people write 30 things I learned before, before I turned 30. So... I didn't have high expectations clicking in, but I loved the article itself. Same. I really appreciated how transparent she was about uh, her mistakes in the past decade and what she's learned from it. Even like the stuff about romantic love and how she's moved on from this game playing persona that she really played into for a long time. She's definitely trying to get that wholesome image back and she's doing a very good job of it. Mm. I have to say my favorite one was when she talked about how and whether or not this was genuine or legitimate I'm not sure but regardless she spoke about how when she was younger there was a lot of insecurities about her inability to make friends and she touched on the fact that she felt it was a mistake that she sort of broadcast new friendships so publicly when she found them which obviously was in reference to that infamous girl squad that Mm. we sort of became this pop culture phenomenon that everybody felt they needed to weigh in on. Yeah, I think my favourite one was when she discussed her hatred of any fat on her body and how she moved past that. I I mean, I don't want to project too much, but that was quite indicative of the rumours that I think she had an eating disorder or problem eating for some time in her early 20s. I think putting that in the listicle and putting it quite high up to say she doesn't loathe every inch of fat on her body anymore I think that's telling. I think she said it that way for a reason. Oh, for sure. And it was pretty high up in that list too. One thing I did want to finish on with this is I read a very interesting piece on The Cut about 
uh, this article. And the writer of The Cut, whose name has escaped me, which is terrible, wrote about how in an era where we're only getting a celebrity profile written by the celebrity, like we're not getting good, important or productive celebrity profiles anymore because people just want to write their own stuff. This is the kind of thing that we can get behind because if she's going to write her own story and her own cover story, at least it's insightful and self-reflective. Yeah, I like that. I agree. My third story, Zara, terrible pick. Sorry, don't like this one. This is a great story. Okay, you can sell it to all of us because I'm pretty sure I'll read this out and all the listeners will roll their eyes with me. Liz Hurley's son could be cut from family trust after being born out of wedlock. That is from news.com.au. Okay, well, in Who gives a... I'm sorry, Liz Hurley? Why? Why do I care? Um, I don't know if I can sell it to you in a way that will make you care. So Liz Hurley's son, did you know that Liz Hurley had this, I'm so nervous already. Michelle's eyebrows are just raised. Okay. So Liz Hurley had a son with a guy who she didn't have much of a thing with. It was like, I don't think her son has ever met um, his dad. And now there's all of these reports that his dad's dad is trying to cut him from the will because he's never met his dad. I mean, in hindsight, not the most interesting story in the news cycle, but I thought it was interesting. Do Are you entitled to an inheritance if you haven't met the parent? Uh, I don't know. See, tough questions. There's Moving more right to along. this. <laughs> Dumb stuff with smart roots. Are you done? Uh, I think so. <laughs> I mean, just go and read the story. I'm sure there's more to it. You can tell us in the Facebook group if you thought that should have been in the quick and dirty today because I know what I think. I roll. <laughs> My fourth story. This one's okay. R. Kelly stands over CBS's Gail King as he rants while claiming he is innocent of sex abuse charges in a fiery interview. That is from ABC News. And yes or no to this story. Yep, good one. Okay. I like this. Do you want to give us context? I do. So Gail King, also known as... Oprah's best friend, but also very well known in America as a morning television host, uh, interviewed R. Kelly off the back of the R. Kelly documentary, going very viral of these allegations, gaining a lot of traction regarding you know him being a prolific sexual abuser. And there is a very powerful still from that interview that was shared widely on social media. Did you see it? Yeah. Of Gail King sitting in her chair, her interview chair, very stoically as he stands above her with his arm kind of raised very aggressively. Mm-hmm. And I think, I mean, it's an interesting time for that image to be shared anyway, not least because of Michael Jackson documentary coming up, but also because of International Women's Day. It sort of captured a lot in one photo. Um, if you haven't seen the photo, we will put it in the Facebook group because it's um, it's pretty like I said, very powerful and it, it doesn't put R. Kelly in a great light, not that he's been in a great light for years. No, I think he's digging his own grave the more he opens his mouth, yeah. isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. My fifth story, Instagram versus reality. Married at First Sight's Martha is busted editing a promotional photo as she takes inches off her waist and slims her jawline. This is the one story I put in today's Quick and Dirty. This is from Daily Mail. The reason I think this is interesting is because Martha is championed as probably the most attractive woman on Australian reality television at the moment. And I think it's interesting that she is photoshopping her photos on Instagram. And I think it's a healthy reminder to everyone that the waistlines you see on Instagram are not real. Yes. Who called her out on this? I don't know. I think it was 
a photo that was shared by the designer or the makeup artist and shared on Martha's account, which is often how these people are caught out photoshopping. It was how Ali Oatjum was caught out photoshopping her photos a couple of weeks ago as well. I I mean, a couple of minds about this. First and foremost, I 1000% agree with you in that it is a very important reminder that the majority of the images that you will see from influencers or whoever on your, on your feed are probably photoshopped. That said, I think we've got to be very careful in how we attack people that do this because it is so pervasive. I would hate for somebody to become the poster person of a mistake or a doing that a lot of people actually do. Like I don't want them to become the devil. I think we should call them out, but I, I don't want it to become nasty. Oh, well, it's do you like agree? a global phenomenon of yeah. people photoshopping their selfies. I know that uh, like global superstars like Rita Ora yeah. photoshops her photos. So if women like that who were championed on an international stage of photoshopping their photos, no wonder that smaller scale celebrities here in Australia are doing it as well. I just think it's a good reminder because I think when you're scrolling through, you can often forget women's waistlines do not look like that. And there is such a trend right now to make waists look smaller and smaller and smaller. It's very Kardashian of them, isn't it? Mm, That's all for today's Cooking Dirty. Thank you to me. Hey guys, we just wanted to pop in here before this next segment to say the following conversation will touch on issues around child sexual abuse and rape. If the conversation does bring up issues for you, please call 1-800-RESPECT or Lifeline on 13114. If you'd prefer to skip through this segment, you can skip right through to 4250. It's the Michael Jackson documentary that came 10 years too late. On Friday and Saturday night, Australia watched two men discuss in excruciating detail the sexual abuse they say they suffered at the hands of the King of Pop. In the days since leaving Neverland aired, radio stations have boycotted the late star's music, saying they can't support a pedophile. Zara, what are your thoughts on leaving Neverland and will you stream Michael Jackson music in the future? Ooh, a little double question. Um, That documentary was like getting slapped in the face I feel um I wasn't expecting it to be so convincing to be so um kind of non-sensationalized um and I wasn't expecting to walk away and say oh well in my opinion this stuff almost can't not have happened in some form Yeah, it's funny you say that. I watched the documentary at my hairdressers while I was getting my hair done and my hairdresser, Caitlin, was behind me and before the documentary began, she said, oh, I I don't think it's our place to speculate on what he did now that he's dead and Mm. he doesn't have a right of reply, which is a really good point. But by the end of the part one uh, episode, it was two hours long, Caitlin looked at me and she said, I think he did it. And I was the same. It's so funny that you can go from... going from into the documentary thinking I can't have a decision because he doesn't have a right of reply to finishing it and being, I am absolutely convinced. I will say that you, convinced that he abused Do you those think boys. that's even relevant though, that, that he doesn't have a right of reply? Like I think we spoke when Karl Lagerfeld died about whether you can criticize someone on their opinions after they die. I think this is a completely different ball game. If you've got sexual, I mean, this is going off on another tangent, but still important to touch on. If you've got alleged sexual abuse to have taken place and the victims are still alive, then that stuff still matters. And I do not think we can hide behind the fact that that alleged abuser is dead. I think it's irrelevant. Oh, of course. And I don't mean hide behind it. I think it's important to have an open mind. And if we're going to hold up the cornerstone of innocent until proven guilty, that's got to come into play somewhere. Having said that, 
I do think he did it. I think it's irrelevant, though. I think that's a point that extends whether they're dead or alive, that, that we should consider them innocent until proven guilty. Although in this kind of climate, it's, it's hard for due process to take shape when a lot of this stuff is coming out through the media, through documentaries or through pop culture. I, when you asked me would I stream Michael Jackson music in the future, I think my opinion's kind of irrelevant because I never did in the first place. Mm. But for me, this documentary, I there are a few things that I liked about it. Firstly, like I said, it didn't feel overly sensationalized at all. I kind of liked that Michael Jackson isn't present in this documentary outside of his relationship with the young boys. So they very rarely have footage of him um, on stage as the king of pop. Like the context of Michael Jackson being in this documentary is very much in relation to his relationship with the young boys. And I found that to be a very careful and clever choice. I One thing I did think as I was watching it is I don't know if this is was just me. I'd be interested to hear your opinion. But there's something about the way that we frame Michael Jackson as an alleged abuser now that feels like we're not assuming that he's sort of like this deadly, evil kind of guy. He's sort of painted in this mystical guy that's a bit odd and troubled. Like he's very much painted in that light rather than this is a really messed up human who think? manipulated. I don't know. Is that just me? No, because I think when I think Michael Jackson, I think Wacko Jacko, which is the headline. But, but that, that's and the what label. I mean. There's very much like an air of mystery and oddity to it rather than like pure, deliberate evil. See, yeah, I don't know. I think of him as a sick individual when I watched the documentary for those who missed it we will give some facts just to contextualize the stories for you so James Safechuck is from the US and he says he was abused from the age of 10 years old he in one scene pulled out a box of jewelry that Michael Jackson allegedly used to bribe him into sexual acts that he really liked jewelry as a young boy and Michael Jackson would take him to designer stores and have him pick out gold rings and necklaces and necklaces and jewels what's so um horrifying to me in those kinds of those scenes of the documentary is how tiny the jewelry is like I think it and I they obviously very deliberately get it out for a reason but the minute that he starts opening that case with the jewelry and you see how small the rings are and you understand how tiny this child is Mm. it's harrowing to see yeah and then the second boy was Wade Robson he's Brisbane born and he was being assaulted he says from the age of seven the thing that really stuck with me and convinced me is how similar the boys stories were and how the details like the nitty-gritty of what they said happened and what Jackson would take titillation from was near identical and we should also be clear that in a couple of interviews that the director has given one for Slate I think he was very clear in saying that these men have always been kept very far apart they were kept very far apart for the sake of this documentary so I think they recorded one over three days and another over two days but they have very rarely met so it's not like I think you can assume as some MJ deniers as they're being called now um can it's not like these two have sort of come together and decided to do this together I want to talk for a second about um radio stations deciding to pull the plug on Michael Jackson's music as some have in the last few weeks I I think there was a lot of outrage about that before the documentary had even aired in Australia which I found strange because I don't know how we can have opinion and have that much outrage when we haven't actually sat in front of the documentary and understood its gravity Well, I don't know if we can say that because I watched it before it came out in Australia. There are ways that you can watch it online. Who's to know that the head of Nova Entertainment hadn't done that? No, no, no. I'm not saying that Nova Entertainment hadn't. I meant people being very critical of this decision before they'd actually watched the documentary. Yeah. See, it's tricky because we don't 
know for certain. I feel like I'm 99% sure, but I'm not going to begrudge someone for saying he didn't do it because he was never convicted of it. So I don't think we can throw a blanket over it and say, this is a closed case, it's done. Because no no matter what, we don't have his voice here. We don't have any of his input. He was acquitted by a jury in the early 2000s. We don't have a black and white answer to this story. I think even if his voice was here, we'd still be saying the same thing, which was it's not a closed case because he hasn't been convicted by a jury. The thing is, I don't think that a radio station pulling Jackson's music is an indication that they think he is guilty. And I think that's where we get this stuff wrong all the time. A radio station pulling the music is not going to wipe Michael Jackson's legacy. It's not going to erase his music. It's not going to sort of, you know, reframe him as the non-king of pop, for lack of a better phrase. I think it says a couple of things. Firstly, it's a PR thing. Some radio stations just don't have the energy or time to deal with the fallout of actually airing the music, which is very pragmatic. And secondly, I think it's a personal preference thing. I think they're allowed to not play the music in the same way that fans are allowed to play it at home. Mm-hmm. Like it's as as an organisation, these people are taking a stand and saying, well, we probably believe that this happened and we're not going to promote the music, but that's not to say that the music doesn't exist. Well, I think it opens up a really interesting discussion more broadly about do you want to support the legacy of a man who might have a muddy history? And I think it's really important to watch the money here because money says a lot. Since Michael Jackson died, his estate has made $4 billion Mm. off his records, off his music, off all of the things that he has rights to. So money says everything his estate tried everything they could to get this documentary pulled before it was aired on hbo there is a 100 million dollar lawsuit still in play about what was said in this documentary i think there was such a great uh think piece in the independent and in the guardian about why we probably shouldn't be streaming this michael jackson music because in our head it might feel detached and he's dead now and no matter where you stand it's just music and And the music will always exist exactly but what we need to think is this music does go somewhere it goes to his estate and hypothetically what if your streaming is giving dollars to people that helped cover up this alleged abuse Mm. and that's what it is the people someone whole groups of people must have been around him if this abuse took place the people at Neverland and the people in Michael Jackson's home were covering this up. There is no way that a seven-year-old and a 10-year-old boy should be sleeping in bed, and that's what they were, with the permission of their parents. There's no way that should happen. Yeah. How did people let that happen? That is such a violation of childhood innocence. So when you stream Michael Jackson's songs on Spotify, in some way you are supporting the people who let this happen. Yeah, and that's Best your stuff. and I think that's your choice to make. And I think in this day and age, you do actually have the power. To, we are not beholden to radio stations to listen to our favorite music. Um, when you say that that the children were sleeping in the bed with Michael Jackson, I think this is a really important point because when when there've been question marks over Michael Jackson's legacy in the last you know fifteen years of his life, he never denied that he didn't occasionally sleep in the bed with a child. And I think a lot of people said, well, he's just saying it's like this very innocent kind of. I don't even know, brotherly-like kind of relationship. And the director of this documentary told Slate that they felt the need to put a lot of detail about the sexual abuse 
quote unquote crimes, I guess, because they're still alleged um, in in the film or in the documentary because of this. And he said, because Michael Jackson represented himself as someone who had an innocent interest in children, but was intimate with them and close to them and physically affectionate and all that, we had to make this very clear it was sex. So you might watch this documentary and, and hear the detail and think that that's a lot to take in, but there is a very specific reason that it's there. And that is because having knowing that Michael Jackson was sleeping in a bed with a child is is not new information. Mm. I I don't know how to make this point because I don't want to appear to be shirking blame from Michael Jackson if he did do the things that he allegedly did. I began the documentary thinking I do not want to blame the mothers involved and I do not want to blame the fathers involved. And by the end of the 2 hours, I was so furious and upset that these mothers stage mums the fathers were out of the picture for whatever reason I think marriages both crumbled around the same time the fathers weren't in the vicinity which again I don't think is appropriate either I think if it's your child you're always responsible for them but the mothers who were so close to their children and letting their little boys sleep in a bed with a 30 year old plus man that they had just met in both cases that is despicable to me like I'm actually outraged that two mothers who were so pulled into this world of fame and fortune and glitz and glamour were such stage mums and were so hell-bent on their boys succeeding that they put their boys they served them up on a silver platter to this 30 plus man to sleep in a bed with them like how is that possible how would you arrive at that decision let's talk about this because I don't think there will be many people that will watch this documentary and not feel that same fury. I really don't think so. And I think it's actually important for a lot of us to be responsible in our commentary about this and go and do the reading about how this stuff works. Firstly, the abuse didn't start for a couple of years after he met, Jackson met both of these boys. So there is a huge and very manipulative grooming process that goes on when it comes to alleged pedophiles and how they actually, you know, form these bonds with these children. The thing about grooming, the more I read up about it, is that you're not just grooming a child, you're grooming their family too. And I think for me, the first thing, I, we had a conversation about this, a very brief conversation about this when we accused these women and these moms of being stage moms. And then the more I read into it and the more I read commentary from psychologists who have weighed into this, um, it becomes a bit muddied because then you think about families that let priests into their homes or even the example of Larry Nassar was there. I think because Michael Jackson was so famous, it's very easy for us to see it as fame hungry when you consider that exactly the same thing has happened. So Deborah Boris, who is a clinical psychologist, told the Washington Post, the kids become very attached, then pedophiles are also very charming and able to win the trust of parents. It is a very gradual process. It's a long, gradual breaking down of boundaries. We're not mums. And I think we should be very clear about that. I don't know. I'm, that's not to say I'm still, I'm not still angry about it, that somebody didn't protect these children. But I think it is so close-minded of us to assume that these mums had any idea or it, it is discounting the grooming process in its entirety. I don't think these mums had any idea. I think you saying that they weren't fame hungry is minimizing it. The number of times that Stephanie Safechuck went back through the first class flights, the president's suites at different hotels, the money that they were given, how much money was given in envelopes, the number of times that Joy Robson said the fame, the whole thing, you do get caught up in it. The, The excuses that they gave for their their mistakes and their errors was all we got caught up in the fame game and that was it they were both stage mums they wanted to push their boys into 
acting and modeling and they completely lost sight of their boys safety i think they were fame hungry and their quest for fame and fortune was the prevailing thread in the documentary okay let me rephrase something because i agree with that the fame the fame the pursuit of fame was certainly a thread but when i touch on other instances of abuse they all kind of follow the same thread and it's not always being fame hungry it is being around somebody that makes you feel special so in a lot of cases it has been a priest in the larry nasser case it was somebody who was meant to be an expert it's this idea that this very powerful person comes into the family and grabs trust from everyone i don't think we can use fame being fame hungry as any cause of the abuse because it's it's much more meticulous in general than that and it's there's a long history of this playing by the same sort of cycle. Yeah, of course. And I'm conflicted in myself even as I say this and I know that I might be upsetting people. But I, I think just, there's going to be a lot of people who agree with us and saying yeah. it's very hard to watch this documentary without being angry. I might not be a mum. I just cannot imagine letting my seven-year-old boy sleep in a bed with a 30-year-old man that we met four hours ago. I cannot imagine myself ever getting to that point. I do want to talk about the jarring juxtaposition of Neverland being this land of arcade games and popcorn and a movie theater and toys everywhere and chocolate and candy and the juxtaposition of that being bountiful and never ending but then also this hardcore porn that was just pushed into these boys lives and all of this violation it felt like the most twisted and horrific theme park in the entire world well i think he was a spectacle right we are pretty young to be talking about Michael Jackson. I think the phenomenon of Michael Jackson definitely passed us by. But he was a spectacle and Neverland was a massive part of that. And I think when we go back to that 2005-ish trial where he was on trial for sexual abuse, one of the writers who covered that trial initially wrote another article some 14 years later and he wrote for Slate in the wake of this documentary that everybody wrote about that trial as if it was a circus because of Michael Jackson. And he said nobody took it seriously. He said, and he took responsibility and said, I did that too. He said, I wrote about it like it was a circus and I wrote about it in a lighthearted way and cracked jokes and talked about what he was wearing and I just continued to do that. And then when he was found not guilty, it allowed people to treat it like entertainment. I think in the frame of Neverland and Michael Jackson as a character and that trial being sort of treated as entertainment and a circus, we sort of built up this character who was a little bit wacky but not evil. Not human. Yeah. It's almost like we treated him like an alien and therefore we didn't hold him him to the same moral standards and ethical standards in what world would another pop star be able to come out and say yeah i sleep in beds with boys we would i don't think that would happen to anyone else no, it was I like we, did, we removed all sense of humanness from him well there's also an element here of him being a child star and that child stars being on a completely different wavelength to the rest of us because we messed them up mm. um how do you think that people in australia are going to respond to this do you think we'll all be on a similar page? I think the majority will agree with me, but the ones the, in that the the mums do have something to answer. But I for. mean, more generally to the the documentary. Um, I think it won't penetrate his core base. I think yeah. people who love Michael Jackson so much to that degree, where they are still crazed fans, won't even let this penetrate their radar. I will say that I feel extremely sorry for his children because I feel like it's the biggest injustice that he potentially perpetrated these horrific crimes and yet his children will be the ones to pay for it and answer to it. And clean up the mess. Yeah. They've just grown up and now they have to clean up this mess, which is totally awful and I agree with you. I think people like you and I who aren't that intimately obsessed with Michael Jackson or that interested in him will probably watch this documentary and consider that this 
is a pretty harrowing story that we can't not take seriously. And I think that a lot of people will be on a similar wavelength. I think they'll be deniers, but I think the core pe- the core group of us, mm. I say us. The consensus will be. Yeah, the core consensus will be that this is a very convincing depiction of sexual abuse. Yeah, I do want to finish on one quote from Lucy Jones in The Independent this week, which was, this is much bigger than the music. It's bigger than even Michael Jackson. It's about our hitherto lax attitude to men in positions of power who use their fame, talent and stardom and the infrastructure around them to get away with hurting and abusing other people. On Thursday, Vanity Fair dropped an interview with one of the world's most successful comedians. In promoting his new show, Afterlife, Ricky Gervais spoke a lot about trying to crack jokes and making comedy in a world that is becoming increasingly politically correct. At the end of the day, he said, I'm going to keep saying what I want and there's nothing anyone can do about it until it's against the law. He went on to lament the fact his jokes have to be woke now in 10 years time and that outrage is hurting comedy. Michelle, more broadly, do you think Gervais is right and that PC culture is hurting comedy? I think so a little bit and I hate myself for saying that. I... I'm struggling with this topic, I think, because I myself, and I feel very self-conscious admitting this to you, Zara, because you are not the same. What? I laughed at Ricky Gervais's recent comedy show, even though I disagreed with some of the very offensive things he said in it. And I found myself laughing and at the same time being offended on behalf of a group of people laughing we should give same. context right so ricky gervais's latest uh netflix See, comedy I don't want you to give which is called i'm gonna well, sound that's like important, an evil though. human it's very important though no i know it was called humanity and it, it was basically a netflix special that was in response to a trans uh, a, a joke that many saw as transphobic at the golden globes and he did an entire netflix special that almost exclusively focused on the trans community yeah and on caitlin jenner and the backlash when he pointed out Caitlyn Jenner at the Golden yes. Globes and referred to, I think it's called um, dead naming when you refer yeah. to someone who is transsexual as their old name. Yeah. I I am all for an inappropriate joke. Like my sense of humor, I would say is quite dark, like embarrassingly so. Um, the issue that I had with humanity wasn't that he just made one joke at the expense of a community and then went and ragged on everybody else in the world and sort of everybody was on an even playing field. It was 40 minutes ragging on one community that is probably one of the most marginalized minorities that we have. That was my issue with it. Not entirely. He constantly went back to that. It was yeah, something it was that the, he, it was, that's what the, the... It was the thread. Yeah. I am interested though because I said to you before we did started prepping this segment this is going to be a hard one because I feel like I will come across as inconsistent in my opinions but maybe that's exactly the point in that everybody is kind of inconsistent in their opinions in terms of what they know is right and what they find funny yeah and I think it's two different things for me that I know that those jokes at the expense of Caitlyn Jenner are hurtful to lots and lots of people However, in the moment, I find myself laughing at them and I wonder if that's a shock value I think reaction. It 100% is a shock value reaction. And that you know it's not something that you're allowed to say. And because you're not allowed to say it anymore, that's what's funny or shocking or um, surprising about it, that it's almost that like rebellion. Well, I don't even think a laugh is indicative of you finding something funny. I think you can laugh in shock or surprise or outrage. I don't think that PC culture is killing comedy. I feel like it's just making it more inclusive. Like if your job is as a comedian is one where you can only make money when you're offending people all the time, 
then like maybe you're just not that good at it to work within the parameters that we're giving to crack jokes. Like there's enough material in the world to crack jokes about it. Maybe you're not very good at your job if you can't find that line. Yeah, and I think maybe it's okay to offend when you are punching across or punching Yeah, completely. But when I think the problem that we're having here is that Ricky Gervais is a white man. Jim Jeffries, another very controversial comedian who says PC culture has gone mad, is a white man. So if it was women coming out and saying this or people of colour coming out and saying this, maybe it would be a different story. But what I do feel like is that white men have had free reign for centuries. And finally, we're pulling them up and say, actually, you can't have free reign anymore. And these are the parameters and other voices are important too. They're chucking a bit of a hissy fit and reacting as if they're not allowed to say anything anymore when that's not the case you've simply got to be a little bit smarter and a little bit more witty yeah about it. exactly and I think there's I I have to say I've loved Ricky Gervais for a very long time I've loved a lot of his stand-up I loved The Office the UK version he is kind of annoying me lately because he's coming across a little arrogant in his response to people who are pulling him up for being politically incorrect and Lindy West wrote a brilliant story in response to his Netflix special and this is a little bit of a paragraph but I hope you don't mind humor me so that I read it out because I think it exactly encapsulates what you just said. And she's talking about men who are lamenting, you know, the left for gagging them. She said, we've heard similar sentiments from hand ringers across the political spectrum who insist that overzealous, politically correct college activists are strangling academia. We've heard it from pundits and politicians who insist that white men were so victimized by the sensitivity of marginalized people, they had no choice but to vote for Donald Trump. Men who scream snowflake at rape victims feel so wounded even by minor critiques that they have been relitigating the same arguments about a and free speech for decades. What they're actually reacting to is the message deep at the heart of March for Our Lives, of Black Lives Matter, of the Women's March. The world is bigger than you and it belongs to us too. I really like that last line because I think this says a lot about maybe white male comedians who are struggling with the fact that the world is bigger than them and it is our world too and we have as much say in the things that go down as they do. And this is the funny thing, right? So often I think this is a real movement that's emerging that so many white men are coming out and saying oh we're not allowed to have opinions on things anymore or we're not allowed to voice what we think which is funny because then you look at the very men that we're discussing the biggest men in comedy Ricky Gervais and Jim Jeffries and the like biggest men in media look at every man on a major media publication or tv channel radio show look at the people with microphones in front of their faces they're all white men so to come out and say we're not allowed to say anything anymore we've just literally given you the 0.01 percent of shit that you can't talk about (laughs) and they're pretending they're like throwing the baby out with the bathwater. but it's not even that they can't do anything it's like yeah we're picking you up on stuff that you're saying but you're not losing work for it Mm. I mean we talk about comedians not being able to make jokes but how many of their careers are actually affected by it and how many are actually hurt by it Ricky Gervais is fine his career is great we criticized his Golden Globes joke we criticized his Netflix special Humanity but we're talking about him in the context of an interview with Vanity Fair because he's just launched a new TV show like he can say whatever the fuck he wants yeah it's true I think one quote that really stuck with me this has been a movement for some time that all of these white male comedians are coming out saying we can't be funny anymore and PC culture is ruining comedy and I found this quote from Vince Sorrenti really funny so he's a comedian comedy is a wonderful form of expression it's not quite dead but it is on life support I've made fun of gender homosexuality terrorism pedophilia it's not being negative comedy enables you to deal with the darker things in life and and by ignoring them you create a problem don't you love that he is equated homosexuality 
on the same level of darkness as terrorism yeah. and pedophilia. Like, it's not the same. Go and make fun about terrorism because it's a way we can all deal with it. Yeah. Go and make fun about really dark things in life, grief, whatever, cancer, whatever you want, because it helps us deal with it and helps us contextualize it and move past it. Homosexuality and gender are not on the same level as terrorism. Also, maybe not your point to make. Now, that's not me saying that, that only some people can make certain jokes, but it's either you've got to be very careful or clever in the joke you want to crack about an experience that's not yours. Uh, on the other side of this, right? I was literally about to say, on the other hand. Well, John Ronson um, gave an interview to the BBC about this and he said and spoke to how audiences now can no longer pick up on the nuance of jokes, which I do agree with. He said, nobody seems to be able to tell the difference between a racist joke and a liberal joke that comments on racism. And I found this resonated a lot with me because I feel like social media now pulls out tone and it pulls out context to the point where we kind of take every joke at face value, which is not the point of comedy. Yeah. Well, particularly Twitter, I feel like flattens things that loses all dimension and context. And it means that the origin of the joke or the, uh, the, the meaning behind it or the aim of it is completely lost. I, I do worry about when we have these conversations that it bleeds into offense-seeking or maybe moralistic behavior where we want to pull people up and we kind of take it that little bit too far. I do think that sometimes PC culture goes too far and we need to recalibrate and bring it back to the center. I agree with that. I do think that there are ways that we get offended that are completely... Time-wasting. Yeah, I don't think it's it's helpful energy sometimes. Yeah, well, it's energy-sucking sometimes. Yeah. Especially, I know that this is a conversation in the Facebook group that we have all the time. Like, what is worth your energy to be offended by? I do think Ricky Gervais coming out and making a joke at the expense of transsexual people is, a, is something to be legitimately offended yeah. by and speak up about. Jim Jeffries, I went to his live show at the very beginning of this year, or maybe late last year, and... He made jokes about um, the Thai divers and sexually abusing the boys stuck in the Thai cave and things that were just abhorrent. Wow. Yeah. How did you react to that in the moment? I don't, he didn't, it didn't stick. Like some, I've seen Jim Jeffries yeah. on Netflix, like his Netflix specials I find hilarious when he took aim at um, American gun culture and um, gun reform in the US. That was so funny to me probably my favorite comedy skit in the history of live comedy but I went to his live show and hated it I did not like it I didn't think his sense of humor stuck with the audience at all and he would give these jokes about the Thai divers and the boys stuck in the Thai cave and make a joke about child sex abuse and it didn't land anywhere I can't imagine how in what world that would land well see like what kind of I mean I wasn't there but I'm like in that moment I'm like what's your agenda like what point are you trying to get get out of this and I think that's often what I think about when I hear a joke is like okay well what's the agenda what point are they trying to make is it a good point is it a bad point you know what I think I think it's laziness yeah I think a lot of these arrogance older too. arrogance and laziness that a lot of these older successful comedians now think that they can get laughs purely by shock value yeah and I don't I don't think that is true. I would love to know if you think that I am generalizing here because there is a huge chance I am generalizing. But the more, the thing I kept coming back to in this scenario is that I feel like female comics generally get this a little bit better than the men because they understand what it means to not always have the power. So they aren't always the ones offending us in the same way that some of the men are. Generalizing? Yeah. 
I'm like, maybe because they are part of a a kind of minority. Yeah, where it's because like you, it doesn't feel offensive if they make jokes at men's expenses. It's, it's kind of punching, punching up. up. Whereas yeah. if men make jokes, it's the opposite. Or they know what it's like to sort of have to fit yourself in a box in order to survive and therefore can understand the experience of other minorities and therefore don't crack as many jokes at their expense i could be generalizing i would love to know if people come into the facebook group and tell me that they disagree well i think but that's my gut i think their stories and their experience of the experiences of the world are already through a lens of less power or yeah. reduced power so therefore they're more palatable to women in particular yeah. i feel like and it is good to see such a rise of women-led comedy because that's something that's quite new which is ridiculous yeah. but there's no wonder that all these men feel like their spots are being taken away because they're purely being given i believe in the future to people like Hannah Gadsby and people who are speaking to progressive young women and people because I don't think our generation is going to put up with jokes at the expense of homosexuals and transsexuals and anyone who's a minority anymore. I really liked um, a piece by Rebecca Shaw in The Guardian. Oh, I have a quote here too. Tell me what John's you've got. I'll happily trade the death of the kind of comedy these men are mourning for the ability to go and watch comedy without feeling like I might become the butt of the joke. I feel like that nails it because it's like there's no money in being a dickhead now. Sorry. Yeah. One of the quotes that I wanted to finish on was from Herschel Pandya for Vulture. And he wrote, if mildly excessive political correctness is the lingering byproduct of a general increase in social awareness, maybe we all just need to shut up and take the good with the bad. (laughs) Yeah, that's good. I like that. I do too. Hey, I think that might be all we have time for. It is. Now we have just announced our dog of shameless. Sarah, would you like to inform the people if you didn't see our Facebook Live in the group on Friday, a little, little dog by the name of Murphy won your award and he is the shameless I, mascot I for the next like 12 months. I feel like he's the only one that makes sense because he's like the ultimate shameless listener. Like eyebrows are always a little furrowed, maybe a little grumpy, a bit of resting. grumpy? Yeah, yeah. A little, Just sassy. A little bit of resting bitch face going on. A poker face. Do you hate our listeners? No, no, no. I'm talking about us and our listeners. I feel like we would all say that we've got a bit of sass to us, I would hope. God, I don't know. Back me into a corner much further. Murphy, we're so glad that you're our mascot for the next 12 months. Hopefully we can go meet Murphy. I'm not even sure where Murphy is based, but we will make it our mission for 2019 that we go and get a photo with Murphy. Okay, we'll try to do that. Um, (laughs) Otherwise, you will find us, as always, in the Facebook group, Shameless Podcast Community, or on Instagram at Shameless Podcast. I think that is it. Is there anything else you want to plug? You're starting to look out the window, so you're done. I don't know what else. We need to plug here. I'm out. (laughs) That's it. Guys, we will be on Instagram all week if you want to come follow us there. Shameless podcast. I've already said that, but thanks. Bye. (laughs) Bye. Hello, guys. Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse. If you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.